so I very quickly upgraded my camera and then I tripped and broke it and decided I can either replace it or I can like go all out with proper gear and really give this a shot. So I think breaking my camera in the first few months of my photography journey was great because it forced me to set myself up with better gear. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wild Shutter Podcast, the podcast where we invite photographers to tell us the stories behind their favorite images. And today I'm excited to have a wonderful photographer that I've been following for a long time. Finally have the chance to have a conversation with him here today, Chris McQuarrie, or my inner wild as he's known on Instagram. So welcome to the show, Chris. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So happy to have you. And I thought that we might just start by you maybe telling us a little bit about your uh background. What do you do outside of the realm of photography? And then maybe how you got into photography? Yeah, cool. Great question. Um, so I work as a paramedic. And so that's basically the complete opposite of everything nature photography is. So I guess um, like seven or eight years ago, just the stress of that kind of job dynamic was kind of building up. And just some part of me was like, get into nature more. It was a good contrast to everything I was seeing and experiencing, especially in an urban environment where I worked at that time. So I started doing lots of hiking and camping and then naturally just wanted to document it. So I brought like a little cheapy camera out with me a few times and just took really basic photos of stuff. And it just felt like something I need to be doing more. Like it was one of those things in life where as soon as you start doing it, you're kind of like, okay, I think like I need like this needs to be something that's part of my life majorly. And so I very quickly upgraded my camera and then I tripped and broke it and decided I can either replace it or I can like go all out with proper gear and really give this a shot. So I think breaking my camera in the first few months of my photography journey was great because it forced me to set myself up with better gear. And then, yeah, I just kind of went with it. Um, so it's nice to have that contrast to my job and kind of recheck myself when I'm back in nature and regain like perspective on life and decompress while I'm out there. Yeah, absolutely. And in this rat race world that we're in, you need that quiet time that wildlife photography or nature photography provides. So I thought that uh, we would start here. Chris has provided three images uh, for us to take a look at, for him to tell us the stories behind them. And I thought that we would start with this just absolutely beautiful image of a fox uh, looks to be standing on maybe a fallen tree. Yeah. I love the pine trees in the background. And is it sunset or sunrise? That is actually sunset, yeah. Okay, yeah, that light back there, just beautiful. Tell us a little bit about how you made that shot. Yeah, that's still like top, top moments I've ever experienced. Um, so that's in Algonquin Provincial Park. And I was driving up a back road. This is like probably like five years ago or something. I was driving up a old back road and... Uh, yeah, there was a fox and it just had a calm demeanor. Like it wasn't skittish and it was just kind of running along the edge of the roadside looking for stuff. So I got out obviously and it ran up on top of that log and I was just like, please stay there for 10 seconds because you are literally posing on a log with the sunset behind you right now. And it did. It probably stayed there for like 30 seconds. It maneuvered around on that log a bunch of different ways. I actually have several variations of that shot, but that particular one that you have that I sent you um, is my favorite one and um, there was nobody else around um, it was just quiet peaceful 
Uh, one of those like one-on-one -on -one encounters with an animal when there, there's no like crowd or nobody else is pulling in a few minutes after you to join in. So, um, yeah, conditions were perfect. Uh, it's my favorite place in the world as well. Algonquin Park is like my second home. So very near and dear to me kind of a feeling. And yeah, that one definitely ranks high on my top encounters. That's awesome. And those moments where you're able, just you and the animal, the animal knows you're there and it's like they're permitting you into their world. Those are just fantastic moments, even if you don't get a shot sometimes. Yeah, it's for okay. sure. Yeah, that's right. So the second shot that I'd like to take a look at is this moose shot. And I think that uh, I've, I've heard that you have some exciting things going on that are probably connected with this shot. But we have a shot here of a moose picking his head up out of the water. We see the drips coming down. We see the twig coming out of his mouth. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah. Uh, so a few years ago, I went on a solo backcountry kayaking trip in Algonquin Park again. And it was a route that was supposed to have high promise for moose opportunities. And it did not disappoint. So on this particular day, um, I was out early in the morning and it was pretty mediocre. I went back to camp, packed up my stuff, and I was going to move on to a different campsite. So this, this picture was taken around noon. And fortunately, I had cloudy lighting so that I had a pretty even exposure. Um, yeah, and so this moose literally comes out of the edge of the marsh. And he's aware that I'm in my kayak. And he gets in the water and swims pretty much straight towards me and across my path and onto the other side, which is why I have this picture of him in the water facing me completely. Um, it was like mind blowing, to be honest. I've had moose in the water around me a number of times, but they've never been just like, okay, you're there, I'm here, let's do this, and just come straight right past me anyways and move on. Like completely incredible. Um, yeah, so it's one of my favorite areas in the park. You gotta get out in a canoe or a kayak to explore it properly, and I've started taking some people out there so they can experience that for themselves. So tell us a little bit about those tours then that, that you're doing, taking people out. Yeah, so I've partnered with a big outfitting company in Algonquin Park called Algonquin Outfitters, and it's a three-day backcountry experience, so two nights, um, all camping gear, food, um, and comfort items, other than your own personal items, are provided for Myself and another pro guide will take a group of four people out. So that makes a total of a group of six. Um, and we do early mornings, we do evenings, and we may have some time to be out in the afternoon as well. And the goal is to match up with moose that are coming out to feed on aquatic vegetation in the early to mid spring because they're sodium, the moose are sodium deprived. And um, by that point in the spring, going all winter eating nothing but low quality twigs and evergreen boughs, they're very sodium deprived and the aquatic vegetation that grows around that time are high in salt. So you've got all these moose that are, in theory, coming out to feed on those and sometimes for hours on end and sometimes even in the middle of the day in direct sunlight. So that's, that's kind of what the experience is. It does require a fair amount of paddling um, and exposure to the elements, obviously. Uh, it does pretty well coincide with close to prime bug time. So there'll be mosquitoes and black flies for sure. Um, but it's one of the best times to possibly see moose and it's nice to see them away from the roadside, like just in their natural setting where you don't have to deal with roads or any of that. So you said you're in canoes, correct? Yeah, we'll be in canoes. So is it like a two person canoe or? We have three? two, three person canoes. So everyone, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's neat. So everyone's, everyone's got to grab a paddle and go, right? Pretty much. Yep. <laughs> no passengers. So uh, what about uh, whenever you go to camp, you're in tents, um, I'm assuming. What kind of meals are people eating whenever you're out there? 
Yeah, so we do just sleep in regular tents and everyone has the option of having their own tent provided for them or sharing a tent with somebody else. And the meals are actually pretty decent. Um, we get outfitted well by Algonquin Outfitters with actual real meals. So we're bringing vegetables out, we're bringing fruit out. Um, like we actually, we actually cook our meals out there. We don't just have them pre-cooked, which we rehydrate with water. We actually have the time to go out there and cook those meals. And the guests don't really have to be involved in that at all. They can be if they want, because sometimes that's actually fun. But they absolutely don't. Me and the other guide will do all the meal prep in addition to all the other camp maintenance stuff. Well, multi-talented photographer, <laughs> chef. <laughs> That's awesome. Really cool. Uh, so what are some maybe some other animals that you have a potential to spot while you're on this trip? Yeah, for sure. So you're almost like you're guaranteed to see loons, like 100 percent. We're going to see loons. Um, uh, we probably see, we could see osprey, we could see bald eagles, uh, beavers, river otters, uh, could see wolves, not likely, but I have seen them out there before. Um, chance encounter with like a bear that's at the shore, kind of poking away through the marsh, unlikely but possible. Um, deer as well sometimes come out and behave like a moose randomly, they'll just be out there in the swamp at the edge. But uh, yeah, that pretty much covers it. Wow. Yeah. One of these days we're going to meet up and I'm yeah, going to come on. For sure. It, Definitely. It sounds yeah. so cool. Yeah. It'll be a good time. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, this leads us to our third shot. And I remember whenever you posted this on social media. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Oh, man, It was just wow. Uh, so we have a shot here. This is a snowy owl in a tree positioned against the moon. I mean, like this is like what people type into like those AI generators now. For show sure. me an image like this, but you can't create the experience that that you have witnessing nature in real life. So tell us a little bit about creating this shot. Yeah, I felt like I was high when I drove home after that. I was so excited. <laughs> Seriously, I had like an hour drive, and I was just like living that moment for sure. Um, I've been chasing an opportunity to have a snowy owl with the full moon behind it for years, and you only get. I mean, you only get the full moon opportunity, I think, three times per winter when the snowy owls are down in our region. And you have to, you know, you've got to, first of all, you got to, you have to hope it's going to be a clear night. This winter, for instance, I lost all three of my snowy owl moon opportunities, uh, two to weather and one I was working. So I didn't even get a chance at it this year. So first, the sky has to be clear and you have to find a snowy owl that's going to be perched high enough because you need to get the moon behind it. And then, you know, everything else has to fall into place. It has to tolerate your presence. You have to be able to access it, um, either by getting it close enough to the roadside or having permission from a property owner to let you out on their field, because there's lots of fields. You can't just really go tramping out on all kinds of random, random fields. Um, where I go, I do have access rights to some of the fields. Some of the farmers have told me they're okay with me coming out. So quite a few things have to line up. And in this particular case, it really all just came together. And... Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I remember being in position with this owl, with the moon rising behind it, but the moon was not high enough yet, and there was no way I could walk farther away or change my angle in order to get the moon behind it yet. I had to keep waiting for it to rise, and I'm just thinking, do not, like this owl cannot fly away, you have to stay there another like 15 or 20 minutes, and it was extremely grueling, waiting 20 minutes when I had the shot ready to go, I had my composition, I had my tripod, I had everything ready to go, my exposure, and all I could do was sit and watch for that little moon to come right up behind them. And it did, and I got it, which is insane, and the owl did leave within several minutes, 
uh, after it lining up properly. So super exciting shot for me. Um, yeah, and like you said, uh, to be able to just like have that opportunity happen naturally without photoshopping the moon in behind the owl is a whole different kind of experience, which I'll never forget. Wow. So I, I know like sometimes you have those moments and like you're almost like shaking while you're taking oh, yeah, the for shot. Sure. <laughs> Literally, tre- I was actually like trembling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Like you said, you, that adrenaline rush that you had, and you probably just couldn't wait to get home and oh, put yeah. it on the big computer screen. Because you know you got it, but you don't really know. No, you, you don't got know it. for sure. You're totally right. Yeah, I've come to learn that too. You're right. You don't really know what you have until you see it on the computer. You're so right yeah. about that. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely the first thing I did when I got home. I don't even think I had dinner. I think I just went straight on the computer. Was it really cold that night as it was, well? Wind? It wasn't particularly cold. No, I just remember yeah. being normal cold. It wasn't particularly cold. Okay. So uh, this year in our area, we'll get, I mean, not like exactly where I'm at, but maybe an hour or two away, we'll get some snowy owls coming in. I've actually never had a chance to photograph one. I know this year really weren't too many sightings. Was there many up near you? I think it was a slightly slower year up here as well. And a couple other people mentioned that in our region also. So yeah, Yeah. maybe just not the best year for the snowies. I'm not sure. Yeah. So like you said, just the opportunity that you had to take this, so many things have to align. And that's just what makes it so rare. It's like a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, it really is very much. That's awesome. So I know that uh, you've kind of been experimenting with, with other tours too, and Snowy Owls is actually one of them. Um, have you led a Snowy Owl tour yet? Yeah, I've led a few. Um, it's we're, we're really excited to, I'm really excited to be bringing people out on these tours because for most people, they haven't seen them before or they just, they kind of, it would be a stab in the dark for them to go find one on their own. Um, I have some areas that, like I said, the farmers are okay with us coming out on their properties. There's about six or seven different properties, uh, that they're okay with me doing that. And the area we go to is honestly just a region that the snowy owls return to every year. They've been coming back there since I started wildlife photography. And I imagine that they've been coming back there for even decades before. Right. Um, and every year is a good year there. There is no sign of it slowing down so far. So we just bring people back to where we've seen them and we hope for the best. We often have to wait periods of time between finding them or finding good photogenic opportunities because we don't bait the owls and we don't like chase them around when they move positions. Uh, there are stretches of time where we don't see them or we do see one, but it's in an inaccessible position. So for the right people who have like that kind of wildlife ethic in mind where they want to be patient and accept that they're going to get what they get with each given day, um, without baiting, without harassing the owls. Yeah. It's a really good experience for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's so important respecting the wildlife because there's, there's just a plethora of problems that, that go along with not respecting wildlife. And, uh, I don't want a shot where I know that I did something that I shouldn't have done. Sure. I won't be able to look at that image and be happy with, with the experience. So true. Definitely. Now, I know that you're kind of experimenting with uh, maybe some other species and locations to to lead these tours. Yeah, next on the list would be Great Grey Owl Tour. And I've just come back from two trips to Alberta this winter to Location Scout. And both were really good. So I'm planning to bring a small group back to Alberta, Canada in the winter of 2024, probably in the middle of March. And it will be very similar. We're going to explore a hot region for great gray owls. They are there year round and it's very much the same. We put in quite a bit of time searching for them and because, and because we don't bait them, we don't have any way to know exactly where they're going to be any given day. 
but it's a general region that I've really gotten familiar with now after spending about probably 10 days worth of time out there over this winter uh, to learn where they seem to like to be and also kind of get a just gain an eye for it. Finding great gray owls is different than finding snowy owls or like, or than finding any other animal. It actually took me a while to get used to finding a gray thing that's hidden amongst the trees or out in the fields. It's very different than snowy owls. So, uh, yeah, I feel really confident I can lead a group out there. We're going to trial that next year. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So do you have a, a partner that you work with whenever you're doing these tours? I do, yeah. I've got a photography buddy. His name's Alex. He has a very similar mindset on the whole approach to ethical wildlife photography. So, yeah, we're going to partner together on this particular tour because we think that it is something that probably best suited to have two guides for. They can The great gray owls can be pretty tricky to spot. Um, I think quite a lot harder, actually, to find than snowy owls um, because they are not only a field owl, like a snowy owl, but they're also a woodland owl. So you don't just check the fields for the great gray owls. You also have to check the forest edge as you're driving along. It's actually quite hard to do, but with two people, you obviously double your chances. So I think it's best suited to have two guides for the, for the experience for the group. That's wonderful. That, another trip that sounds like it'd just be awesome to, to experience. Uh, so do you have any uh, species or location that you have not photographed yet that like you're really, I gotta do this. Yeah, there's too many. I don't know how I'm gonna afford it to be honest. To be totally honest with you, it's gonna be a problem. You need to do it, some it more tours, problem. right? What's that? <laughs> you gotta need to do some more tours. I guess so. Yeah, seriously. Well, I've I've uh, I have a craving for puffins. I've never seen one, but I do have a trip in Iceland coming up at the end of June. So hopefully that'll wow. scratch that itch. Yeah, and um, I want to see Arctic foxes, but I don't have anything in the works for that yet. I mean, Arctic foxes are in Iceland as well, but it would just be a matter of locating them. So we'll see how that goes. And then outside of that. Uh, polar bears, but that's probably the least attainable of everything because I don't know if you've looked into it, but the polar bear trips are pretty expensive. It's pre it's a lot just to get out there and then, you know, to be guided for a trip like that costs an arm and a leg. So I'm not sure that one's quite on the list in the near future, but hopefully one day. Um, let's see, in addition to that, mm, no, that, those are pretty much my top three right now. I'd say that I'm yeah, really going for it, yeah. Yeah, the puffin thing I've been looking into for years. Um, there's a place in Maine that I really? kind of had my eyes on. Yeah, I, had I no just idea. haven't made it up there yet. I had no yeah. idea. That's crazy. Good. Yeah. How far is that yeah, for so you? There's, there's an island out that way that uh, you can take a boat out to. Now, they only take so many boats. Like I think they only do one tour per day. There's only certain times where you can really go. And yeah, so trying to schedule it has been a little bit rough. But, you know, hey, we, we got time. <laughs> do, you, do you photograph from the boat in that case, or do they let you off on the island? So this one company actually lets you off, and they have blinds on the there island. There you go. Okay. And, yeah. I was going to say, if you have to stay on the boat, I might have some concerns for how good that would really be. But that that sounds amazing. Yeah. 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 So one of these days. You bet. But, you know, that that's something that I think that a lot of photographers, wildlife in particular, kind of balance. Like, it's you always want the newest camera. You always want a better lens. But honestly, I guess I've kind of come to the point where I would rather experience things. You know, the, the cameras, they're always going to be another model. And sure. what you have right now is probably pretty good. Yeah. I would rather have the experience of going and finding these things and observing them and making those images. Because if you just keep spending your money on equipment and you don't have any images, 
What's, what good was the camera, right? It's so true. No, for sure. Especially when, like, the next upgrade, just to get, like, a slight increase in your features is going to cost you thousands of dollars more. I mean, that could literally be two or three trips right there, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the experience over equipment, I think, is, is my message. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good message. Yeah. So, Chris, it's, it's been so wonderful talking with you, catching up with you uh, for the first time here, really. I've, like I said, I've enjoyed your images on social media Thank for you. so long. And uh, you're just a, a positive guy. I, I get that vibe from you. Like, I love the, uh, right the fun stories and, and reels from time to time. And, yeah. Uh, and, and really, I, I get the respect that you have for wildlife, viewing your images and viewing your captions. And it's just, uh, you're, you're good people. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. I'm glad that that conveys. I appreciate that a lot, actually. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think that you find that there's a lot of that in this community. You know, I, you try to surround yourself with people that, that are like-minded. And, and I do find that there is a, a lot of uh, respectful, kind people that are into this hobby. Of course, there's others, too. But um, I feel like wildlife people are good people, too. <laughs> yeah, for the vast majority, I completely agree with that. So be sure to check out Chris on Instagram. He's my inner wild. And Chris, you do have a website too. Let us know what that is. Myinnerwild.com. Easy enough to remember. I love that name too. You know, where did that come from? I don't know. I was just like, this is when I was taking just pictures to document my time in nature. I didn't, I wasn't doing anything or trying to be anything. I was just, I don't know. I need a username. Everyone else just uses their name. Maybe I'll try and make something else. So I don't know. I thought of that name. I was very on the fence about it, and I just decided to go for it. And now uh, I probably can't ever change my username, or no one will know who I am anymore. I'll have to start off again all over the place. Yeah, people won't even know who I've become, so probably stuck with it forever now. <laughs> That's right. You know, like even I changed my uh, profile icon. Oh, you yeah, know, it's a it's big like, deal. That's a big deal. Is, yeah, it is. Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, God yeah, forbid you change both at the same time, profile icon and name, right? And then it's just well, starting to make a Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, be sure to check us out on whatever platform. We're a, we're a video podcast. We're on YouTube, but we're now extending the podcast into audio platforms as well. So be sure to check us out wherever you're listening to anything else. And we'll see you next time.